and welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA. I'm Warren Landis, your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. And I want to say a special hello to all of our listeners on Spotify and Anchor FM and all the other platforms that we broadcast on here at Sunshine USA. Great to have you tuned in. Well, we are in the second broadcast so far of our study of the book of Malachi. Now this is an interesting study because Malachi, of course, is the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi is the last of the Old Testament prophets and he is a minor prophet. Now as I've pointed out on previous broadcasts, uh, uh, when we say minor prophet, we don't mean to diminish the message of that prophet. It's just that a minor prophet typically didn't have as much to say as a major prophet. And, and that's where the distinction comes in. But even though they didn't have as much to say, what they do say is very, very important. <laughs> I've known some people in my lifetime that were people of few words. They didn't say very much at all. But when they spoke, it was important. And when they spoke, people listened. Amen? Amen. Well, today we come to Malachi chapter 3. I was talking to someone yesterday about this new study in the book of Malachi that we're doing, and they were asking me how many broadcasts are you going to do on the book of uh, Malachi? And I said, well, it's hard to say. You know, uh, at this point we've got two more chapters, chapter 3, and chapter 4, and then we'll be finished, not only with Malachi, we'll be finished with our study of the whole Old Testament. One of the things significant about yesterday, when I officially launched our study of the book of Malachi, is the fact that I have now uh, preached or taught out of every single book in the Old Testament, all 39 books. And many of these are books that I have never preached from or taught from before. And, and you see, that's where the value of systematic Bible study comes into play. Because you see, in systematic Bible study, it forces you to take a look at every chapter. And a lot of times it forces you to take a look at every verse in every chapter. Uh, it does not allow you to skip over certain parts of the scripture, you have to deal with all of it. And of course, that is my job as an ordained minister. My job is to teach and preach the entire counsel of God, not just bits and pieces of it, but to preach and teach the entire counsel of God. Now hopefully you've already read the third and fourth chapters of Malachi. If not, uh, there's still time because I can assure you we're not going to finish our study of Malachi today. Not at all. So there you have it. But let's take a look now at Malachi chapter 3, starting with verse number 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. 
Now, here we have, in general, a reference to the coming Messiah. In fact, in my Bible, the King James Version, we have a star out beside this particular verse, meaning that this is a verse dealing with biblical prophecy. He says, Behold, I will send my messenger. Now, one of the things I looked at since we did the last broadcast, I looked at the question, who does this refer to? Well, some Bible scholars say this is clearly Malachi making reference to himself. There is a sense in which Malachi is a messenger of the Lord, and especially since he's the last prophet of the Old Testament, he will have the job of introducing people to the Messiah who is coming in the New Testament. Now, the first part of this verse, Behold, I said my messenger. My messenger, as I indicated yesterday, is what the name Malachi means. My messenger. So Malachi is saying God is sending me, his messenger, to tell you about the coming Messiah. Other Bible scholars have also indicated that this is at least a veiled reference to John the Baptist, who would come as a forerunner of Jesus. And the mission of John the Baptist was to prepare people for the Messiah. Now, the interesting thing about this particular prophecy, especially as it relates to John the Baptist, John the Baptist isn't going to be born for another 400 years. Most of the people, in fact, I would say pretty much all the people that Malachi is ministering to here in Malachi, they will not live to see the day when Christ will come to this earth the first time. They just won't live to see that day. But he is coming. Now you could say, all total, there's about three different comings of Christ that we have to think about. One is the first coming, which has already happened. That's when Jesus was born as a virgin, was born unto a virgin, in Bethlehem, that was a little over 2,000 years ago. The next coming of Jesus will be at the rapture. Now the rapture is where Christ returns for the church. And that's where all Christians in the world at that time, they'll be called up to meet the Lord in the air. And the Bible says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. And it might be interesting to note the Holy Spirit is taken up out of this world as well. And all that you will have then on the earth are unbelievers. Now unbelievers will not be directly affected by the rapture, but they will be affected by the absence of Christians on this earth. I mean, it's safe to assume, even today, that Christians occupy Positions of great importance. I mean, what about airline pilots? 
who all of a sudden disappear in the rapture? What about these truck drivers driving 18-wheeler trucks? What about them? What happens when they disappear? Some people will say they can imagine airplanes falling from the sky. What about manufacturing plants that may have to shut down for a time? Because Christians make up a large part of the workforce. And then the next coming of Christ will be Christ coming at the end of the tribulation period, which is seven years after the rapture. And it's here, of course, that Christ will finally, once and for all, defeat the enemies of God and the enemies of Israel. And the Bible tells us that Christ will rule and reign upon this earth for a thousand years in what Bible scholars generally refer to as the millennial reign of Christ. During this time, Satan will be chained up. Now, the beautiful thing about the millennial reign of Christ, we won't have to worry about sin. We won't have to worry about temptation. We won't have to worry about people living ungodly, immoral lives. Because, you see, Satan will be taken up out of this world. Amen. And like I said, Christ at that time will rule and reign from David's throne in Jerusalem. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but Christ is coming. And that's the important message that we get here in chapter 1. Or, pardon me, chapter 3. It says here in verse 2, But who may abide the day of his coming? Who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner, and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi. In other words, he's going to purify the priesthood and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. So we understand that Christ is coming as a judge. He's coming as a refiner. And I tell you, I don't know about you, but I can hardly wait for that day. And you'll say, as a judge, as a refiner, you're looking forward to that? Oh, yeah. Because, you see, that's when we become more finely tuned to the will of God. For example, during the millennial reign of Christ, all Christians will be fully engaged in the work of God, in the praise of God, and they will do so flawlessly. That's something you can't say today. I mean, right now, today, I would tell you, 
I am not perfect. I am not without sin. I don't boast about that. It's just a matter of fact. But when I'm here during the time of the millennial reign of Christ, I will be perfect. And if you're there, so will you. Because you see, Christ will refine you. Christ will help you to become more of what you need to be for him. And that's going to be exciting. In fact, really, in our Christian life, every day from the day we get saved till the day we die, we need to be moving consistently closer to God. That would be the ideal thing. Unfortunately, today, we have many professing Christians who can remember a time when they were really close to God. They got saved at a youth meeting or a revival meeting. And boy, they were so excited they wanted to turn the world inside out and upside down for Christ. But then they allowed the world to seep in. And now they're hardly living for God at all. Now, if you find yourself in that situation, let me tell you, God wants you back. God will take you back. You just have to be willing to turn to him and repent. Amen. Now, as we read on further here in chapter 3, for example, in verse 5 it says, and I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers. Now that could also refer to drug dealers and drug users, and against the adulterers, and against false swears, and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages. <laughs> Let me pause there for a moment. Now, by the way, you could read James chapter 5 over in the New Testament, and you'll see that God has instructions for the Christian employer. Now, I believe he has instructions there for Christian employees, too. But in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we find that employers, employers are to pay a fair wage to their workers. In fact, they are to generously pay their workers. And really, when you think about it, it only makes sense. I mean, if you own a business, you would not have your business without your workers. Why not pay them well? Why not treat them well? Because when you take care of them, they'll take care of you. Amen? Amen. He says, um, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. In other words, God's coming as a judge. And if you're not living a righteous life, now I didn't say self-righteous, but if you're not living a righteous life, then the judgment of Christ here at the end of the tribulation period, beginning of the millennial reign of Christ, 
That is something you have to fear. Because the Lord's going to straighten you out, boy. <laughs> Amen. It says here, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Notice that. He says, I am the Lord, I change not. Now that's an important thing for the church today to come to grips with. And that is the fact that the Lord changes not. The Lord changes not. The Bible teaches us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, while it's true that God does not change, sometimes our methods have to change. The message doesn't change. The message that you and I preach today is the same message preached 2,000 years ago. But now we might use different methods. We might use different tools. For example, when I got saved back in November 1969, let me tell you something. We didn't have the Internet back then. There was no Internet. There was no Facebook. There was no podcasting. And yet I use all of this today in order to preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. If you had told me back in the early 1970s when I was a student in high school, if you had told me that one day I would be preaching the gospel to the whole world on the internet, I would be just totally shocked. That was not an option available to us in those days. Now one of the first ministries I really got involved in after I got saved was door-to-door -door visitation. And there we literally knocked on doors and told people about Christ. We invited them to church. Now, unfortunately, because of the day and time that we live in, it's not really always safe to do that now. Uh, for one thing, many people live in what are called gated communities. And that is all the houses in those neighborhoods are surrounded by a gate. And that re gate remains closed unless the gate is opened by one of the residents in that neighborhood. And you can't get into that neighborhood without prior authorization. And so sometimes it's just not possible to get to where some people live. So different types of visitation ministry that was one of the first ministries I got involved in as a young Christian. It's not so easy to do that now. But now we have the opportunity through the Internet to reach virtually every country on the planet. And to me, that's a better trade-off. <laughs> I would rather have use of the Internet to reach the whole wide world than to go back to the day when you can go into most any neighborhood and knock on somebody's door. Now, the second point about that is the fact it's just not safe. When you knock on somebody's door, you have no idea who is on the inside of that house. 
it might be some evildoers. They might take a gun out and shoot you. Now, by the way, if you do visitation ministry, and I know a lot of churches still do that ministry, and I think it's good to do that even today if you could do so safely. But I would suggest that nobody go door-to-door visiting alone. Always have somebody with you. I think I made a, a brief reference yesterday to the fact that because of the day and time we live in, if you're a pastor, I would never, ever be caught alone with the opposite sex. It's always good to have somebody with you. If you're a pastor and you're married, the best person you can take with you is your wife. If you're not married, or you're married and your wife is simply not available, then I would take with you a Sunday school teacher, deacon, or, or someone like that. But never visit someone alone, and, and especially never visit someone of the opposite sex alone. Because you see there, you open up the door of possibility that somebody could in fact accuse you of something that you didn't do, and because it's just your word against somebody else's word, it, it puts you in a defenseless situation, and it can literally ruin your ministry. So I would especially say that you pastors out there, you need to make sure that you never visit someone alone. If you have a church and there's multiple ministers on the staff, I would suggest that you take one of the ministers with you. Never go alone. And I would suggest if you have two or three people, maybe you could have the pastor and his wife and maybe another woman go with you. And this provides a hedge of protection for the pastor. Because, you know, the devil's a pretty crafty devil. He really is. The devil is a pretty crafty fellow, and the devil can tear down overnight a ministry that it took you a lifetime to build and establish. The Bible says today the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I heard one time about a pastor who got a phone call from one of the female members in his church. She said that she was in distress and she needed the pastor to come by. This was at a time of day when the pastor's wife was not available. No one else in the church was available. And so the pastor, against his own judgment, went to that woman's house to see her. And when he got there, she invited him in the house. And after the visit, he found out the woman accused her of raping her. and chaining her to the bed, raping her. A horrible accusation. 
it was later found out several years ago that this minister was in fact innocent. That this woman had in fact made up the whole story. But guess what? At the time it happened, the system believed her and not the pastor. And the pastor ended up getting arrested and indicted and thrown into prison, being convicted of a crime he never committed. Now, after several years, the woman finally came forward to admit that it was all a lie. It never happened. But even then, it took a while for him to get out of prison. But by then, his wife had left him. The church had fired him. His life, his ministry was ruined because he went against his own better judgment and saw someone of the opposite sex when he knew better. You see, that's how cunning the devil is. That's how clever the devil is. So that's why I give you that particular um, advice. Then we go to verse 7. Even from the days of your fathers you are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But you said, wherein shall we return? That's in verse 7. You see, <laughs> God shows here how merciful and how compassionate he is. He says, if you'll just return to me, I'll take you back. I'll forgive you. But he says, as it stands right now, you're even yet living in sin. You're disobeying me just like your forefathers did. And God is saying, you know what? I don't like that. I don't like that one little bit. I want you to come back to me, saith the Lord. And I will take you back. That's why I can tell you, if you're a backslidden Christian, and you're listening to this broadcast today, let me tell you, God loves you. God still has a plan for your life. God will take you back, but you have to make that first move. Amen. Praise the Lord. Then we come to verse 8. It says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and in offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all your tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now. Herewith saith the Lord of hosts, If I will not open the windows of heaven, and pour out a blessing, that there should not be room enough to receive it. Amen. That's verse 10. Now, I heard a preacher say one time at a revival meeting, he says, if a man says he's a Christian, he said, let me take a look at his checkbook. And when I look at his checkbook, I'll tell you whether or not he's a Christian. Now, the purpose of that illustration is not to suggest that you're saved by giving money to the work of the Lord. Not at all. 
I mean, do you realize you could give a million dollars a week to the ministry for the rest of your life, die, and still go to hell? Absolutely. But I do believe this. If someone is a Christian, if someone claims to know Christ as their Savior, they will be giving money to the Lord. Now, some people would ask, what does that look like? Well, I believe that if you are a Christian, your first duty and responsibility financially to the Lord is to financially support your local church. Now, I head up this ministry called Sunshine USA, and I might add, I serve with no salary. No one will ever accuse me of doing internet radio for money. I don't do it. <laughs> I read an interesting article just the other day, and it talked about podcasting, and it talked about how you can turn your podcast into a profitable business. Well, that's not what Sunshine USA is all about, because like I say, I do this podcast every day, most days of the week, because I love the Lord. And I love you, the listener. And like I say, I don't receive a paycheck of any kind for doing this podcast. I do it because I love you, and most of all, I do it because I love God. Now, the thing I will never do is ask that people give money to this ministry instead of supporting their local church. If you have to choose between supporting your local church and financially supporting this ministry, you support your local church. No pastor can ever call me up on the telephone and accuse me of heading up a ministry that takes money away from their church. Because you see, that's just not true. I've always said, for the past 10 years that I've been doing this podcasting ministry. I've always told people, your first responsibility is to financially support your local church. And then if you're able to give even more money to the Lord, then it would be all right for you to give money to this ministry. Now, even though I serve without a paycheck, even though I do this ministry without a paycheck, and I gladly do it, um, we will eventually be doing some things that are very expensive. And in order to do these things, I'll have to have financial support from my listeners. Because even though I don't get a paycheck, even though I don't get a salary and never will, the fact of the matter is, uh, eventually, we would like to buy airtime on TV and radio stations across the country, cable systems across the country. And in order to do this, it will take money and a good bit of it. But even then, I still say we're not asking anybody to financially support this ministry instead of supporting their local church. Now, by the way, I want to give some advice to young pastors. I know that we have a lot of 
young pastors who listen to this uh, ministry on a regular, ongoing basis. I happen to know that. And one of the pieces of advice I would give to you young ministers out there is this. I would say that you should make it a point not to directly handle the finances of your church or ministry. Now, right now, one of the things I'm in the midst of doing right now is trying to get this ministry legally incorporated, which will make it a lot easier for us to raise funds for future expansion. And one of the policies that I will have in place for myself and for anybody who succeeds me is the fact that the director of this ministry is not to directly handle the finances. I think it's better that way. If you're a pastor of your church, people in the church other than you need to be handling the finances. And when people give money to a ministry like this, I can tell you, I have no idea what the people give. I don't want to know. I don't need to know. And if you're a pastor, I don't think you need to know what different members of your church are doing. Because you see, it, it puts you in a ticklish situation. Because if you do something to help a, minister, a member of your church, and it turns out they give a lot of money to the church, people will accuse you of catering to that person because they have a lot of money. Or I might be accused of not doing anything for some people because they don't give any money to the ministry. That's why I would prefer not to have any idea what anybody is giving to this ministry. I mean, I'll, I'll just be honest with you. And that is probably some of the very best advice that I can give you. Some people would say, well, how much money do I need to give to the Lord? Well, I think the Bible makes it very clear that's basically between you and God. Now, going back to the Old Testament, we know that believers were expected to make a tithe, pay a tithe. And I might add, in the Old Testament, when all was said and done, they actually gave a lot more than a tithe because they had a lot of special offerings that they had to give in addition to the tithe. And so for some of the Old Testament believers, when the dust settled, they ended up giving 30 or 40 percent of their income to the Lord. In the New Testament, it seems that there is a greater emphasis on giving to the Lord voluntarily, as the Bible says, as a man purposes in his heart. But let me tell you this. If you really love the Lord, you're probably going to give the Lord more money than if there was some rule in place saying you had to give a minimum amount of money. You know, if I buy you a, a birthday present because I feel pressured into it, I'll probably get you what everybody else is getting you, but nothing more. 
But if I get you a present and I really care about you, as far as I'm concerned, there's no limit as to how much money I might spend on you, depending on how much I have. I maintain that a person will always give more money voluntarily than they ever will under compulsion. And I would have to agree with a lot of preachers who have gone before me. You show me a Christian that never gives money to their church or other ministries, I'll show you someone who probably isn't saved. I mean, I'm just leveling with you. Amen. So there are some wonderful things here in chapter 3. And chapter 3 makes it very clear toward the end there that God's going to get everybody cleaned up. And by the time we get to the millennial reign of Christ, people are going to be behaving the way they should be behaving. It says here in chapter 3, verse 18, Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. This is called discernment. Now discernment in the New Testament is listed as one of the gifts of the Spirit. But actually it is something that every Christian ought to be able to do. To be able to discern, for example, between right and wrong. Between those who say they're of God but are not and those who are of God. You know, um, I, I tell people, even when it comes to my preaching, you need to get this book right here, the Bible. And if what you hear some preachers say on the radio or television, if it doesn't line up perfectly with the Bible, don't listen to that preacher anymore. I'm thinking right now about a preacher that I used to listen to a lot on the television, and then, when I got the internet, I was able to go to his website and listen to more of what he had to say. And the more deeply I looked into the theology of this particular preacher, the more I realized, hey, he's got some views here I cannot support. He's got some views here I don't agree with. And as a result of that, I quit supporting him. I don't give money to his ministry. I don't even watch him on television or listen to him on the radio or internet. That's because the Lord has allowed me to discern between the righteous and the unrighteous, between the true and the untrue. And you need to be able to do the same thing. You know, when I say something, don't just take my word for it. Look it up in the Bible yourself. Check it out. One thing I will say to you is that I will never knowingly or intentionally mislead you. Now, when I go back and listen to some of my earlier sermons, sermons that I preached, say, many years ago, 
I listened to some of my early sermons. And I think to myself, I can't believe I said that. Because back then, I'm, I was saying things back then that I would never say now. And that's because I've grown and matured spiritually. I've grown in my knowledge of the Word of God. And you see, that is exactly and precisely what the Lord wants you to do as well. He wants you to grow in Him. Amen. And that will bring us to the end of Malachi chapter 3. And that will bring us to Malachi chapter 4, which is the last chapter in Malachi. It is also the last chapter in the Bible. So if you haven't read chapter 4 yet, go ahead and do so. And certainly if you haven't read the book of Malachi, go ahead and read it. It's only four chapters, so even if you haven't read any of it yet, it shouldn't take you long at all to read through four chapters. And in the next broadcast, I'll begin commentating on Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. Now, in the meantime, I want you to know if you have a Bible study question or prayer request, uh, the best way to contact me is through email. My email address is warrenlandis at yahoo.com. And I also have another email address. It's warrenlandis at gmail.com. All of it lowercase. Very simple, easy to remember. And then if you want to contact me by snail mail, the old-fashioned way, my snail mail address is Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. That's Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. Well, I enjoy hearing from you. I hope you enjoy hearing from me as much as I enjoy coming to you every day on the internet and teaching you uh, the Word of God. Um, I want to say that I truly consider this to be the best time of my day when I'm on the internet giving you the Word of God. And um, we're looking at some things I could do in the future. I'm looking in the near future of doing something of a simulcast between um, the podcast that I'm doing now called Sunshine USA and simulcasting that on my Warren Landis YouTube channel. I believe you could go to uh, Yahoo, I mean, pardon me. <laughs> I believe you could go to youtube.com slash Warren Landis and that gets you to my YouTube channel. And there I'm starting to produce more and more videos for the Lord. Now, on, on that channel, you will see videos that I've done in addition to whatever I've done here on the podcast. And in the future, I'm looking more and more at doing a simulcast between YouTube and my Sunshine USA podcast. And that will give you the opportunity to see me and not just hear me. Now, the other advantage, especially where the YouTube channel is concerned, the other advantage is that I will be able 
to show you some maps and charts and diagrams that I cannot show you on audio alone. So that's why I thank the Lord for a video ministry such as YouTube so that I can not just tell you what the Word of God says on audio, but show you on video. And that's just one of the projects that we have that we're hoping to do for the Lord in the near future. Until then, God bless you, and don't you fret none, because you know what? I'm going to see you next time on Sunshine USA.